We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. This is James Ham. We're about to start the podcast. Before we get to it, let's talk about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is our sponsor here on the King's Beat Podcast. And I got to be honest. I'm having such a good time hanging out, making my picks every game. I'm really bad at it, but it's super simple. You go in, you look at players that are going to play on that night. Uh, You can choose from a variety of sports, a variety of leagues. I choose to stay within the NBA world most nights. And I just choose players that I think like, look, if Damanis Sabonis is coming into a game and I think he's going to get a triple-double that night, I'll look and see what his projections are uh, as far as points, rebounds, and assists combined. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll go more or less than those numbers. And uh, for the most part, I'm usually wrong. Uh, but either way, it's really cool. And it adds just another layer to watching the game each and every night. I've had some good times. Uh, I've had some bad times. Uh, but at the same time, you know, as long as you're you're looking at these things responsibly and uh, you know taking it easy and just and just having fun with it, I think it's really cool and it it's a fun way to add something different to your viewing experience every night. So if you're interested in Prize Picks, uh, there's a link in the podcast. There's a link in the email. You can go in and if you use the code Kings Beat, all one word. It, they'll match up to 100 bucks, so it get you started. Every night, you choose between two and six players. Um, you figure out if you think they'll do more or less in their projections, whether that's assists or points or combined things, whatever you choose to do. You can win up to 25% of your money on each entry. And you know what's cool is it's available here in California and 30 other states. So, uh, yeah, give it a look. Uh, use the, the code KINGSBEAT. And uh, good luck with your prize picks. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento.
Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Hammond, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me today, Brendan Nunez from the Kings Pulse Podcast. Brendan, how are you? Doing good. I'm not far removed from a Five Guys burger, so my stomach's doing good. My bank account, not so much. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and of course, we are joined by Sean Cunningham from Box 40. What's going on, Sean? I'm good. I'm uh, a little loud, evidently. We're having a little mic issue. So I remember my radio days, they always say, speak up, get get louder, because I would have a very kind of a softer, quieter voice, but not used to that. So if I get a little too loud, I apologize. I've put the microphone pretty far away. So we'll see how that works. It, basically, Sean is Austin Powers, and he can't can't control the <laughs> volume of his voice. No, no, no. Wrong. That was SNL. That was Jacob Tremblay. I can't remember, but it was a Will, For- Will Ferrell character. And he came on Weekend Update. I can't control the voice of my... Remember? Well, that's on also... Weekend Update. Uh, that's Was Austin it on the Powers. Powers as well? Yeah. I don't remember yeah. that one in Austin or When Powers. he comes out of the, the the cryogenic freeze. I can't control the volume of <laughs> oh, my voice. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Oh, I was thinking of the Will Ferrell guy. Yeah. Darn it. Poor Brendan. Okay. He has no idea what we're talking he about. no idea. No idea. Adorable little soul. <laughs> Just Island. clueless. Yep. Just... Smile and wave, boys. Smile (laughs) and wave. Uh, (laughs) All right, we've got lots to talk about today. Uh, Number one, we're doing a live show, so if you guys uh, don't mind and you're in here, give us a thumbs up. Uh, Monitor the chat for us and tell people to give the thumbs up. Um, If you're a subscriber here on the King's Beat podcast on YouTube, uh, that's awesome. If you're not a subscriber, feel free to subscribe. Um, Let's see, what else do we got? Jump on board with the Kings Beat. Um, go to thekingsbeat.com and become a subscriber, become a premium subscriber to help support us in all of our ventures going forward because we clearly have a bunch of playoff uh, expenses that are about to hit us because the Sacramento Kings are one game away from making the 2022-23 NBA playoffs. Um, let's start there. Uh, the Sacramento Kings, uh, they had a magic number of of two going into yesterday, uh, they had an opportunity to actually make the playoffs yesterday by beating the Utah Jazz and uh, getting a little help from the Clippers and the Suns. They got some help from the Clippers. They did not get help from the Suns. So now the magic number is down to one. And um, I- I'm just going to ask you guys, would you prefer that the Minnesota Timberwolves lose today to the Golden State Warriors uh, the game starts, I think, at 5:30. That would open the, that would seal the deal for the Kings. They would be in the playoffs. Or would you prefer that it happens tomorrow when Minnesota rolls into Sacramento and the Kings would have an opportunity to clinch the playoffs on their home floor in front of their home crowd? Uh, what are your thoughts? I would rather it happen at home. I just feel like it'd be a fun environment. I think that. It's understandable that a lot of the players and coaching staff are are kind of like, you know, we've known that we're going to clinch and kind of shrugging it off. But I think that if they also got to experience the the crowd and just the reaction that this fan base would have, I, I think that that'd be a cool moment for everybody in that building. And so selfishly, I guess I would enjoy to experience that. But either way. Obviously glad to see Sacramento deserve um, get in and the fan base get to experience that. I would much rather it happen at home, though. Sean? 100%, 100% agree. Yeah. 
I mean, reward the fans. If you have a moment to do so on your home floor, you know what clinching in this uh, environment will do. I mean, everyone knows, like Brennan said, I mean, this is this is a playoff team. Um, it would take – I mean, shout out the person on uh, King's Reddit that outlined the 40 – I don't know how many games scenario. Like, if one of them went the other way is what it would take to – it would have to go in exact sequence for the Kings to tumble out of the playoffs into the uh, play-in tournament. That was time. I don't know if I'd call it time well spent, but I com- I, I commend the uh, commitment to the bit. And uh, it was it was it was really enjoyable read this morning. And uh, but yeah, that's not going to happen. But yeah, if if uh, if you can do it, if you can have a set up a game where you can do it on your home floor, uh, it's going to mean a lot to the city. I think everyone's already kind of wrapped their heads around it. I actually kind of think it might be a little bit disappointing, uh, only in the sense that if anyone's expecting this, like this, like everything to pop off and just be this overwhelming loudness and, and atmosphere that, uh, and again, and I say that because I think it'll be disappointing because only because like everyone's already kind of wrapped their head around the fact that this is a, that's a playoff team. So I don't think it's going to have the, the 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 luster that it would have if it had come down to like three days to go and here they are trying to climb into the eighth spot and clinch it or a seventh spot or you know historically before the play-in tournament and clinch that playoff uh, appearance now that they're up by three and and even kind of contending for two at times um, now it's just kind of like okay yeah no they're good we we love the fact that they're good and these fans are over the moon for it but I don't know that it'll have the desired effect that some might might think it would but if it can happen at home great let's do it let's celebrate it i, I disagree with you sean i think like people are going to be crying i think no. that uh that babies will be born 10 months from now uh, i mean Hello. nine months you know 40 weeks from now um <laughs> i think that uh it's going to be chaos and and there will be sacramento chance and dogs uh, and cats like, living together yeah to, uh, complete chaos uh that of course yeah brendan that is from the original ghostbusters um, yes, sure. it's also true. This man has no dick, uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> which comes from oh. the same exact set of, uh, lines right there. <laughs> there you say so. There you go. There you go, Didn't expect Sean. to hear that one. Didn't Jeez, expect that me. one at all. Um, yeah, I think people are going to, uh, they're going to freak out. I think there's going to be a bunch of drunk people. Um, I think Doko is going to be pretty wild and oh it'll, every... God. Everyone will look around and be like, it is Monday. This is wild. Um, yeah. What if, I, what, I, if, what if they lose? <laughs> what if they lose to the Timberwolves? No, that, that's true. Um, then it becomes like a mass panic. It, it, because after that, well, then they go to Portland. And you got the opportunity twice in Portland. It looks like Portland's going to shut down Dame. If you don't get it there for some reason, those two games, uh, you go to San Antonio, who is like outwardly trying to lose every game by as many points as possible. Um, so like it, it's going to happen sometime. This it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, where are you guys at with this though? Uh, right now it's not just the playoffs that the Kings are looking at, um, in their 38 seasons in Sacramento, the Kings have only won the Pacific division twice, which was in the Oh one Oh two and the Oh two Oh three season. Uh, and they are like right on the brink, uh, of also not just making the playoffs, but, uh, I think there's six games up on the Suns with eight games left. Uh, in six games up, both in the loss column and overall, and there's six. There's seven games up on the Clippers and the uh, the Warriors 
in the loss column with uh, with eight games to go. And so, like, the Pacific Division is literally right there for their taking. Um, I, I didn't expect that. I mean, I know it's a feat to make the playoffs, but to win the Pacific, it's one of the most, like, difficult divisions in basketball. It might be the most difficult division in basketball historically, and uh, they're, they're right there on the cusp of winning. Uh, of winning the division it's cool to have the title i don't know that winning a division ever really means anything you're not having a shirt made i don't know i mean i'm not having a shirt made but like should there even be like a celebratory moment of that banner getting raised next year like i don't know it's cool it is it is an accomplishment that they are able to win the division I just don't know that it's something that I am personally celebrating. Was it before that the top four teams were the leaders of each division? Am I thinking of this right? Or am I thinking of like football right now? Football. Well, or I'm thinking of some other sport possibly. And this is way back. I feel like where, what happens? I don't know. We're, we're like, it doesn't matter where, no, it doesn't. He's talking about where division winners are like that end up being your top four seeds. And you know, I'm just saying it, it, it used to like in my mind, if that was the case, it would matter. Right. But it's not, it doesn't really mean anything to me. It's cool. It's an accomplishment. It's one of the many accomplishments that this team has succeeded in achieving this year, but I don't know. It doesn't stand out to me all too much. Admittedly. I, I like the way James kind of set it up. He put it on a tee and made it look all beautiful before you sliced one into the rough. Cause like, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it just doesn't like, it's nice, I guess. I mean, it just shows that you're having a really good year. Uh, but aside from that, like it's never anyone's goal to go out and win the division. Um, conference matters so much more. So, uh, and, and who knows what the NBA looks like five, 10 years from now, if they end up doing a more strength of both conferences and, and eliminating it and just saying, all right, top, top however many get in uh you know and i hope that doesn't happen because i do think i think conferences are important and i think there's uh whether you do a realignment or whatever it is but i think you should have the conferences and i think um i prefer that way over just seeing the the top you know 16 teams uh, in the league so um but that being said no i don't i don't think anyone cares about the division banner and, and, and the teams that, you know, historically have success, you look at all those banners up in Lakerland and the Celtics and, and all that. I mean, there, you don't see division banners up there, and nor should you. Are you sure, Sean? <laughs> <Pretty> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting if you're uh, like the Kings at some point, they have to celebrate some of the small victories. And I think that's what they've done in the past. Like if you lose in the Western Conference Finals, there is you don't want to hang a we lost in the West, Western Conference uh, finals banner or runner up to the Western Conference Finals banner. Um, so I do think the the Pacific assistant Division does to the have regional something. assistant yeah. to the regional manager. Exactly, it would yeah. be an assistant okay. to the regional man- manager situation. I totally agree. Um, yeah, Brendan, that is from the office. I know that uh, one. <laughs> oh, okay. Believe it or not, He's Dwight Schrute. Uh, there we go. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still think that the Kings should. Um, like, I don't know that they celebrate it, but I think it's still a big deal because. That division is brutal, and like they're still, we're like looking at which teams do you not want to play from your own division if that are below you. I don't think the other teams scare you nearly as much as, uh, you know, again the the Suns, the Warriors, uh, the Clippers, and even the Lakers. Like if they get healthy here, 
and and start to make a run. Who knows what they're going to do in the last week of the season now that LeBron's back. Um, maybe maybe it just shouldn't be a banner. Like maybe there's just a different way to honor it. It shouldn't be a ring. It shouldn't be a, a chain or a medal. But maybe it's just a a, a refrigerator magnet or something. I, like, <laughs> something to the equivalent. Maybe they give out a, a, a t-shirt. I don't know. T-shirt to the opening night crowd next year, and and that ends up being it. I, I just <laughs> I don't think it should be a banner. Yeah, I think it means very little if you don't do anything. If you if you don't go anywhere, if if you make it, but then the teams that are uh, below you in your own division end up being the ones that bounce you out of the playoffs. Um, but Maybe like a thin banner, you know, <laughs> like a really like. <laughs> let me let me ask you something. How many refrigerator magnets do you guys own? Like currently, it's a big magnet, and that's all I got. You have yeah, a calendar? I don't. I don't think I even have one over there. Maybe I have a uh, Statue of Liberty bottle opener from when one of my boys went on the eighth grade trip to to New York City. Um, that's the only magnet I think. We, but we also we have like a stainless steel fridge, and those things for some reason you can't really hang stuff on the front, yeah. even though it's stainless steel. I don't know. Uh, setting this yeah. up like you have a lot of fridge magnets. Sean. No, I, I'm looking. I just looked over there. I don't have a single. Actually, I, I lied. There is a bottle opener, and there's two of those like pinchy bag things. I don't know what the name of it. Like a Help me out, James. What's that? Like a clamp a, a for like a lock? bag oh. of chips? There we go. Something oh, like that. a chip clip. Yeah. A chip clip. I've got uh, <laughs> a couple of those over there. Oh, why Brendan has one in his bedroom, I don't know. You know. Oh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a rough couple months. Light the beam. Uh, <laughs> wild. <laughs> uh, boy, we have lost our mind here in the middle of a live show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, all right. Go ahead, James. Um, yeah, let, let's try to get out of this one. Uh, Kevin Herter is back on the court. Um, are you guys surprised how impactful he's been in his two games back from the hamstring pull? He was having a great month of March, uh, absolutely spectacular, but all of a sudden he comes back from injury and it's even better, 27 points, 29 points in his two games, plus nine rebounds in one, seven in another. I think he had five assists in one game. Um, he's finding a way to stuff the stat sheet. I looked it up. In the month of March, 10, 10 games in the month of March, he's shooting 53.5% from the field, 51.4% from three, averaging 19-4 a game. Um, but, again, we have this uh, this issue where – you know, a guy pulls a hamstring or, or a, what is it, uh, Sean? A poplidius. Poplidius. Poplidius uh, strain. Um, are you surprised that he's bounced back so so well and uh, looks so strong? Yeah. Um, not not because of his shooting. I think the, the offensive stuff is fine, although I do love – I do love watching him, whether it be in transition or working off a screen and just – launch from that deep kind of corner elbow if you will and just uh the way he 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 sidesteps and just pulls up i mean it's it's impressive you know you have complete confidence that it's going in but uh just his rebounding like the the, the rebounding presence that he's had um i i think he is a very underrated he gets he gets knocked a lot for defense but i think there's a lot of stuff that i can see him doing defensively that uh he doesn't get enough credit for and i've had members of the coaching staff uh, help point that out to me and uh, really 
you know, really solid effort. And, and, and I think what, I think what surprised me most is not the injury. It's like not the description of the injury itself. It's seeing it twice over the past three days. And they had back to backs here with, uh, uh, with, with the Friday and Saturday games. And I've twice replayed that injury, looking at that injury and just going, how, how are you back? Like, how was that not worse? How was that injury not more severe and your, your recovery time, not more because that was a scary moment I felt. <clears throat> and, uh, excuse me. And, and so anyway, just by virtue of seeing that injury again, never hearing of a Popliteus injury in my life. Uh, here, and here we are, and he comes out what is not even a week later, and he's just you know putting up nearing a career high on Friday, um, you know getting close again yesterday, and and leading him to two wins. And what did what did uh, what did Domas call him, Mister Third Quarter? <laughs> he's absolutely right. Very much agree with pretty much everything Sean laid out there. I think the scoring he he'd been rolling prior to going down in four of the nine games he played prior to going down, he put up twenty plus. I think we'd seen him have these moments where he just absolutely catches fire. And I think also his teammates deserve a lot of credit for recognizing those moments and still finding ways to set him up, specifically Demonis Sabonis, like obviously does so much for getting Herder open and available when he is kind of on a heater there. But the scoring's been great. To me, it's the other things, like Sean said it. Not only the rebounding, which I think has been one of the biggest things that Mike Brown has really pushed him on, but the playmaking, like having four assists last night when there's no De'Aaron Fox, five in the game prior when De'Aaron went out midway through the third quarter. And even just that game last night against Utah where, you know, he does have 27, but it's on two of nine from three. It's being able to finish around the rim and use your shooting pressure to to cut back door and Domas is able to find him there. So I, I think it's all of the little things more so that have impressed me with Herder recently rather than just the straight up shooting that I feel like we always knew that he had. Yeah, I think it's funny he's not like the most athletic dude on this team. Uh, and I mean, I don't know how far down the list he is, but he has a, a knack for scoring in the key really, really well. I mean, I was surprised that on the season he's shooting, it's something crazy, like 48.8% from, from the, uh, from the field. And so like, not only is he a, a good volume shooter from the perimeter, but yeah, he's shooting 48.8% from the field and 40.7% from three. But normally when you're seeing these guys that average 6.8, you know, uh, three-point shots per game, they have a tough time getting their field goal percentage up. And even, you know, even Harrison Barnes is at 47.3%. And it, it's really crazy to me how, uh, how crafty he is. He's really crafty in the key. And to me, I, like, I think he's really been a, like, a great fit for this team alongside Fox and, uh, and, and the rest of the starters at Sabonis and everybody else. But uh, yeah, he's been impressive to me. To your point, he's shooting 73% within four feet, which is by far a career high. Typically he was, you know, high fifties last year, but prior to the 73, 63 last year was his career high. So just skyrocketed in that aspect this year, which I do think has a lot to do with Domas setting him up. Yeah. Did you, I, I was looking the other day, he's actually, I think like 18th in the league in two point field goal percentage. Like he's in the top twenty in the league. That's that's crazy to me for a guy who really is known as uh, a three point shooter. Um, that's sort of what he's been known for his entire career. Uh, it, you know, there's all these little pieces that the Kings have put together that I think is really, you know, it's been why we've seen this this team have so much success. Herder's one of those guys. Uh, we talk about Monk all the time. 
where you, the the monk situation last night that was a little out of character for him. I thought that was that was pretty crazy to see monk get tossed uh, in like uh, he didn't even get well. I mean, I guess he did get two tees, but two tees at one time. Um, what were your guys' thoughts on, especially in a in a moment where you know you already knew you had Fox out and you needed Monk to have a good game, and he just kind of lost his mind on a on a block that where he clearly got fouled. But I, I don't think that's the point of of the question. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't. I mean, I asked Mike about it last night, and uh, he made it sound like some of the things that that Malik was saying wasn't directed at the official. Um, nevertheless, I mean, you know, he clearly had a point. Um, I don't think he did anything overly demonstrative. In fact, like think back to the, to the Phoenix game where Fox, if you remember, gets tangled up with, uh, Chris Paul, Chris Paul, you know, does some theatrics as he's known to do. And, and De'Aaron is right there on the baseline and he, and he just gets called for the foul and he's mimicking the action back to the official, showing him those over the top theatrics that, that Chris Paul um, was doing. And I thought that was going to get him a, a technical. You'll oftentimes see Domas throw up his hands, glaring at the official, barking at the official, and nothing gets said there. So it had to be purely, in my opinion, the vocabulary that came out of Malik's mouth. And uh, I was, I looked down, man. I didn't see it in real time. I was working on something. And so I had, I needed the replay to, to, to see it. And I still don't quite understand why it was such a quick, uh, a quick toss. But I don't know, man. That's an that's a question that Jason Gobel will have to answer. I, I I just it was it was a little bit. It just happened so quickly, and I don't think it uh, made a whole lot of sense. Yeah, we probably should ask for a poll report on that. Well, I, again, you do that, and it's it, they're not going to tell you anything. It's like, well, he he used the magic words and got to got a technical, and then you know, felt he needed to be, he'll just say felt he needed to be tossed. And, um, I don't think, yeah. even in pool reports, I don't think you really get clarity as to what the thinking was there. Cause yeah, as Tyler points out, it was only one tech. So he, oh. he chucked him. Yeah. Yeah. That was wild. He got, he got pulled quickly. Uh, Brandon, go ahead. I think it was deserved. I think <laughs> that Malik kind of started doing a little bit of like a, you know, pissed off sort of, flex and then did the little like fake coming towards the ref that I don't think it really showed in the replay on the broadcast but in real time you kind of see he did that like jab step sort of towards the ref and I think that Mm. in itself is enough but I will say I don't think the ref was looking at him when he did that so it must have been the wording and also when coach says post game that like he got told that well Malik's words weren't directed towards the official Malik was staring at the ref the entire time. Like, who else is he talking to here, to be honest? Um, so, I don't know. Malik probably did say some magic words. And like, he was fouled. He was for sure fouled. Yeah. And it absolutely fouled. But I, you know, the reaction probably warranted him getting ejected. And part of me wonders, does it have anything to do with, like, already some pre-built frustration? He came into the fourth quarter barely having played nine minutes. He was not playing well in that game. And maybe like that was a moment where he could get some energy going and then not getting that whistle. Was there any previous frustration? I don't know, but part of me wonders if that could have been the case. I think that it wasn't super surprising to me that he got tossed. Also De'Aaron's reaction. I don't know if you guys saw priceless. that. Priceless. Yeah, Jared is laughing at him is hilarious. Yeah, that was priceless. Um, yeah. And you know, those guys are close. 
I thought it was funny that uh, Mike Brown even said, like, you know, one guy told me one thing, one guy told me another thing when it came to the official and Malik. He's like, so I have kind of a he said, she said thing going on here. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I think typically you would want to have your players back in that situation, but at the same time, probably deserve to go. Uh, I'm just surprised that it was so quick. And uh, like they brought up, it was only one tech and tossed. I mean, that's that's kind of a rarity in the league. And we do see players say stuff all the time. Um, but there are like a, a sequence of, of things that you can say to an official that will get you tossed quickly, especially if it's uh, you're questioning his integrity. That's usually one of the big ones. So like dropping F-bombs is like somewhat okay as long as it you just don't keep going. Um, but it's when you start to question their integrity and why they made the call they made, that's usually when it becomes a, uh, a situation where a guy tosses somebody. I don't know the well, official either. Joe, well, Jason Goble. But I mean, let's 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 okay. be honest though. It also depends on who the hell you are. Um, yeah. Certain guys get more rope than others, and leeway, and that's why I'm wondering if if there there may have been something that that you know happened before this that. Uh, maybe Malik was chirping, chirping about, or you know, maybe got warned about. Who knows? So uh, those those ongoing conversations with officials happen throughout the game, and um, he may have already been kind of warned about uh, something earlier in the game. And who knows? But if you've ever seen Bull Durham, that's it's usually the, the you know, there's a line in there, and typically that line will get you tossed. So the ref yeah. also the probably hearing a lot from Sacramento's side in that game because there oh, were yeah. some calls people I think weren't happy with. I know a lot of people weren't happy with some of the Phoenix calls or the Boston calls. None of those, like there was maybe one or two in some of those that really stood out to me. I thought there were admittedly like three or so in the game yesterday that were a little questionable to me. There's going to be, again, we, we, we talk sure. about this so often, just resign yourself to the fact that there's going to be at least three per game where you're going to lose your mind over as a fan. And you just know that that's going to happen. Um, and, you know, more times not, again, we've talked about the officiating this season has been really, really bad. Um, it, it, you just hope it gets better with experience, but you do have, a, you do have a lot of younger officials than you have had in decades prior. I mean, some of these officials have been around, you know, 25, 30 years and, uh, that you don't, and, and even they were bad too. I mean, if people thought they were bad, it's, it's a lot worse right now. So, uh, it's, it's definitely, there's definitely a human element to the game and, um, it keeps you entertained. Yeah. Uh, Jeevan in the chat here brings up, uh, the late Davion, uh, call where he, he never touched done. Right. That was, that was egregious. Bad. Um, there was also another play, Oh man, was it early in the game or was it the the game before? I think it was the game before. <clears throat> Were they called a foul that they expected a foul to be called on a jumper by I think Devin Booker at the top of the key? And it wasn't a three, but maybe a, a foot behind the the free throw line. They blew a whistle because you knew that they were going to call a foul. They thought that there would be a foul, and there wasn't a foul. And you know, um, and that that I thought to me was an issue. And then the other thing, like. Sean and I sit next to each other, and uh, man, I got to tell you, like I've I've never enjoyed watching James Harden play basketball. That is something that I've said a million times. Like it's watching somebody dribble the air out of the ball to me is like it's just not fun. I like the beautiful game. I like the ball moving from one side to the next. I like players being unselfish and all that. Uh, and Harden's always uh, driven me crazy. 
Chris Paul has got on my last nerve. I, I literally <laughs> cannot wait for the day where Chris Paul is no longer in the league. And I actually will make this statement right now. I watched what he did last night. I watched what he did the night before in Sacramento. And I actually believe that he needs to be fined heavily for his flopping in the last two games. Uh, because there were two times where I thought it became dangerous. So I don't know if you guys saw the play last night where he flopped on the three-pointer and kicked his legs out as he was flailing like an idiot and falling to the ground and kicked somebody. But he did the same thing and almost rolled up the back of Davion Mitchell's legs against Sacramento the night before. Yeah, he tripped him. Yeah, and to me, there was the one where he did the thing with Fox— uh, he had another play in that game where he he flailed like on. It's an unnatural move, and it's time for that to stop. Like that should be a flagrant foul in the moment, and it should be a, a technical foul for flopping. And I just don't get why the the officials allow because his stuff is such trash. It's not even close. Like it, it doesn't even look natural when it's happening. So when De'Aaron is mocking him, like I got it. Like I. I would have been too. I don't think I would have stopped. I would have been all over him, like yelling at him on the court. So, uh, am yeah, I it was crazy? A, he was at, he was at, no, he, and look, I know uh, our buddy Sam Amick and I, who were next to you, were giving you a hard time just because it's like, have you never seen Chris Paul? Like, that oh, was, no. um, admittedly, it was peak Chris Paul moments. And, uh, it, we were more amused because James was just coming on. He was coming undone. It was. Oh, I was it frustrated. Was, <laughs> he yeah. was not having it. And to the point where we were just like, have you never seen this guy play basketball before? He had just been broken by Chris Paul. Chris Paul was, was bad in that. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I, James, I agree with you. I, I think I pointed out, I think it was on our happy hour. And we don't talk about our happy hour, but this is a safe thing to talk about is the fact that, you know, there's only been one player who's even been warned by the league, and this player was actually fined by the league for flopping, and it was Patrick Beverly. And you think of all the games you all watch about in basketball in the NBA and the flopping and the theatrics that go on every single night and how the league has, you know, talked about how they want to make efforts to, you know, curb all that. And to have one player that's even been warned, let alone fined, and he was fined, uh, <laughs> is just an absolute travesty to the to the to the policing of flopping in this league annoyingly part of the game has become manipulating the referees and i think that the way to counteract that to sean's point is kind of what they had instilled of we're gonna find guys that flop but you gotta stick to that and that hasn't been the case so i definitely see where the frustration comes from I admittedly do really enjoy watching Chris Paul play basketball more than not, but teachers I, I see I would, the frustration with flopping for sure. I would sign uh, Demarcus Cousins just for a ten day right now, <laughs> when you're gonna play, when you know you're gonna play the Suns, and say, "Boogie, go ahead and do it. Like we're done, we're done with him. Just like you've been done with him for years. You go ahead and do whatever you need to do to Chris at this point." We'll just let let you grab the dude by the ankles and Hulk smash him. Um, that would be like it, like it's just it's horrible. Like someone brings up the Marcus Smart thing, like those things were no. horrible that Marcus Smart did. But that dude's so physical He's that he so gets good. away with it. Yeah, and then people like, do I hate? Uh, well, someone uh, Peter asks in the chat, uh, do I like Dylan Brooks? Let's see, Draymond Green and Pat Bev. Okay, there's a difference between like 
physicality and like guys who are in there like who who get hit in the face all the time and you know like i think there is a difference between those guys being physical and borderline dirty players versus what we're seeing i don't like the chirping at the official thing like watching draymond yell at an official for like a whole half and then when he gets a tech he goes out afterwards and says oh well that's getting rescinded and all of us are like yeah bro that's not getting rescinded and then luca picked up his 16th tech uh today right so he's suspended, or 17th Tech. He's suspended 16th. for the next game. That one, uh, I I could see that one getting rescinded, I will say. I don't know, but if you go back and watch what he does every single play, like I had this conversation with DeMarcus years ago. He said, hey, he pulled me over after getting game. Like, I'm like, what's up? He's like, did I deserve that Tech? And I said, actually, I thought you didn't on that play. I said, but on the previous five plays, you yelled at that dude the entire time. And so, yeah, that was coming. Like, you just happened to that was like the the straw that broke the the camel's back and he goes okay that's fair enough he's like you're probably right there i probably was yelling at him. like luca is on the official but all game long and so is draymond and then you have harrison barnes pick up a tech for saying something and everyone in the whole building's like wait a sec what just happened uh to the point about luca uh i disagree i don't think they will rescind it he's already had one rescinded this this year and uh, they don't usually. It, it's rare to get a to get a bunch of them. I know Trey Young has had two already rescinded this year, um, but most of them. Yeah, man, you don't get you don't. They don't usually like to get you. Chris Paul, of all people, has had two also rescinded this year. He only has four on the year. James yeah, Buddy, he's gonna send him a Christmas card. And what is uh, Fox has twelve, uh, eleven, or twelve? Fox is at ten. Okay. As of as of uh, the, well, that was through games on the twenty fourth, and obviously he hasn't played, so um, he didn't get a tech in that game when he left. So we're yeah, we're we're good. Yeah, uh, Tyler in the chat brings up that the uh, the Nuggets are cooked. Um, I think so. The Mavericks. Oh, what did I say? Got to be yeah. Mav- you said Nuggets. Oh no 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 no! I meant the Mavericks. Sorry, my bad. Uh, not the Nuggets. The Nuggets aren't cooked. The Nuggets are one of the better teams in basketball. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's my bad. Um, uh, but definitely, uh, we're seeing the, uh, the Dallas Mavericks. They're, they're down to 36 and 39 right now. They're on the outside looking in of the playoff picture. Uh, they're half game behind OKC for the, the final play in spot. Um, I made this point on D'Lo and Casey when we, cause we got the opportunity to see the, the Mavericks twice in a row, right when, uh, right when the the trade happened, right? So Lucas sat out the first three games. One of those games was against Sacramento. And then I think didn't Dallas beat the Kings the first night. And then the next night with Luca, the Kings beat them. Am I incorrect with that? Um, yeah. And, and everything I was hearing from their people, uh, and, and around the team was everyone was just so excited to play with Kyrie because he was setting everybody up and making everyone better. And everyone was engaged and it was so different than what they had, they had uh, been, you know, basically held hostage for the last couple of years under Luca. I, I kind of feel like uh, that that Kyrie has become like the Trojan horse in in Dallas, and it's not for the reason why you thought. You like wheeled him in and thought, okay, well, let's hope he doesn't do anything silly to blow up everything. And I think by being so much better of a of a teammate and a passer, he actually has made hit the teammates there kind of go like okay i don't think we want to play with luca anymore so am i crazy there 
I would say, I would say, I don't know if it's quite that, but I will say like, there's a, there's a pressure that comes with playing with Luca. It's not easy. Um, he's very ball dominant, dribble the hell out of the basketball. Obviously he's kind of a hothead. Um, and there's, you have to have right personnel and it can get, it can wear on a lot of guys. I think the whole Luca Kyrie thing is so completely overblown. I don't blame the way Kyrie Irving has, uh, fit into that team as a disruptor and a, and a way for this team to all of a sudden be hitting the skids like they are. Uh, I, I just don't buy it now. It could be very much that I, from what I've seen, it just doesn't look like that's the case. I think it's more of an adapting to a different style of Luka Doncic than it is Kyrie Irving, if that makes sense. Well, and I wasn't putting the blame on on Kyrie for right. for no, causing it. any problems at all. I think he's been really good for them. I'm putting yeah. it on like the realization that there is a different style of basketball that we should be playing. And that that guy plays it and the other one doesn't. Yeah. I think being a teammate alongside a Luca, Trey Young, like a previous James Harden is in general probably frustrating. I think it was like Austin Reeves said on a podcast the other day. I don't think that people realize that you're sprinting your ass off for 10 minutes and then you get one shot in the corner. And if you don't knock that down, then everybody's on your ass about it. And like, all the work that's going up until you get one shot. Like I think that that can be an extremely frustrating style to play with. And I also think that, you know, there's a reason they made that trade. They were struggling in the first place coming into the prior to that trade. And a lot of their success last year came surprisingly on the defensive end. I think Dorian Finney Smith had a lot to do with that. I think Spencer Dinwiddie had a lot to do with that. And it's like, you're watching today and, Kings fans can appreciate this. Justin Holiday is getting 15 minutes tonight on this team. Like, who is the surrounding cast around those guys? So I, I do think that, like, Luka can be frustrating to play with. He still had 40, 12, and 8 today. He still did have a very good game. And it's just, like, what is these other surrounding pieces on this team? How do you get it all to work? And I don't know what the answer is. Right now, they've lost their last four. They've lost seven of their last nine and are half a game out of the play-in. If this team doesn't make the play-in, Kyrie Irving is a free agent. Like, th- this has potential disaster written all over it. Yeah, that was my point. Like, it, you could blow up that whole entire situation because you you brought in a guy. And, and again, your thought was, okay, will, will he'll, he be able to figure things out? Like, you know, will he cause issues? Uh, you know, personality-wise, there's all kinds of things you think of with him. But I remember De'Aaron saying, like, everyone in the league loves loves Kyrie. Everyone loves playing with him, and everyone loves him as a dude. So while he does say weird things and he causes problems and he, uh, you know, he promotes things that he shouldn't be promoting, um, like, there, there's, a, I think, a misconception about him slightly between how, like, we feel or how fans feel or like media feels or fans feel or other people on the outside feel about Kyrie and how they, uh, his teammates feel about him. And then I, I just think it's really interesting that we're seeing something like this where, um, like it's almost like unintentional what's happened here. And, you know, I, I didn't think it would go this way. I thought they would be pretty strong. Um, but certainly every time you get into the trade deadline and you go to make a major move, 
you can have situations that go completely sideways when you didn't expect them to. Um, someone brought up in here, uh, I, I don't know, it's just a random statement someone made, but it kind of segues us into our next conversation. Uh, from Taylor Gall, Keegan Murray will be better than Clay. Uh, wow. Wow. Uh, if okay. you Why? ask Matthew Delavadova, uh, he will be a superstar because that's what he said in, in post game last night. Um, and I, I think it, like Keegan Murray over his last uh, five games is averaging 17 points per game. Uh, he's shooting uh, like an incredible, like he's shooting 46% from three. I think the biggest thing that I'm impressed with that he's he's averaged 10 three-point attempts per game over his last five, uh, and he's at 183 three-point makes on the season, which is four away from, uh, is it 183 or 184? He's Is he three or four away from uh, Donovan Mitchell? He's three away from tying. Three. Okay, so no. he's at 184 then. Yes. He's three, three away from tying. from tying. So he's at 184 three-point makes on the season, uh, w- with eight games remaining. And he's at this point, he's averaging like two point something makes per game. So he should get there. Just what are your guys' thoughts on the run he's having, especially for a rookie who's had a ton of responsibility on a very good team, and he just seems to keep going and keep getting better. Uh, he has some some moments where he fades, and then he bounces back. Um, but we're at, a, we're at a point where he's actually sort of starting to show that he's coming out of whatever funk he's been in this season and, and starting to excel. I, I love what Mike Brown said last night about him possibly being to the all-rookie team. Uh, I mean, he he's very tough on his rookie, as most as a lot of coaches are, um, but particularly this one. And he's he's detailed the, the role that Keegan plays on a team that has higher expectations than a lot of the rookies that are on other teams. And that's undeniable. And look, he's made brilliant strides all season long. I think his future is incredibly bright. He knows the role he plays on this team. Is he capable of being a different player on a different team, differently constructed Kings team in the future? I think he is. Uh, I think it's going to take time to get there. But when you play with the with the amount of attention that, that Demonis Sabonis brings, who makes everyone better. I think Keegan has definitely um, benefited from having a, a presence like Domas on this team. And then you also couple that with the attention that De'Aaron Fox gets. Uh, this leads to opportunities for you, especially with his catch-and-shoot ability. Um, I think I think he's going to – I can't wait to see the strides that he makes, but make no mistake, man, have some respect for Clay Thompson when you – when you put out there that he's got it, like, even if you believe that to be true, okay, but just kind of let that play out and and don't doom the prospects of Keegan Murray because if he doesn't end up being Clay Thompson, he can still be a very very good player that you should be happy about. Um, but yeah, man, Clay, Clay Thompson comparisons are saying he's gonna be better than Clay. I don't know what Clay's sitting on his couch going. What the hell did I do? <laughs> Keegan has been very important to this team, like. We know that spacing is so essential to unlocking De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis, right? And I will gladly eat my words when I was pretty vocal about Jaden Ivey being the answer, or at least the, in my mind, the right selection at number four. And I think my wrong evaluation had to do with the surrounding cast of the team rather than the pick itself. Like when everybody else around is succeeding in the way that they are, I think that Keegan makes a lot of sense. And 
as I said, I, I think that he's done a great job enabling those guys to be successful, having that gravity and spacing that he does. Shooting 41% from three in your rookie year is ridiculous. Like he's done it on so many less attempts than Donovan Mitchell. And I think Damian Lillard's the other one that is kind of nearby that uh, number as well. And he's so much more efficient. Like it sounds insane, but he's probably having the best three point shooting season an NBA rookie ever has when you factor in efficiency as well. I do think it's worth noting that, and this is without last night's games because NBA tracking stats has not updated yet, but of the 437 threes he had taken coming into last night's game, 406 of them were catch and shoots, right? Hmm. And that's exactly how it should be. I don't want him taking, I don't think the team wants him taking pull-up threes at this point in his career, but that's his role. And I think he's played it phenomenally. And I think a lot of, Keegan in my mind and how he's going to perform in this postseason I actually think he's one of the bigger x factors of this team is is the defensive end though right we know what he can do on offense I'd like to see him dunk the ball more often as I think we all would but I think that you know what you're getting for him from him offensively as a role player but they're giving him tough assignments defensively he's the one assigned to Devin Booker at the beginning of the game to Anthony Edwards at the beginning of the game and he's struggled with those at times but then he's had decent moments as well so I think that the more he can perform defensively, the more opportunities he's going to get on offense to be that kind of elite role player spacer that he has been. Yeah, I think you what know, we're going Yeah. Yeah, I think what we're going to see from him too is like there is a lot more that we're that he's just not showing. Like we've seen him take guys off the dribble uh or or run at the rim a couple of times lately and then find Sabonis. And that's something that he hadn't done before. And the fact that he's willing to get in the key and not be selfish, uh, sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing, but he's still showing a willingness to to look and have his eyes open and spot his, you know, his teammates around the rim that can actually get a shot that might be better than his. Uh, but I'll bring out the uh, the stats. Um, Clay Thompson in his rookie season, uh, 12.4 points, uh, shot 41.4% from three, 44.3% overall uh two assists 2.4 rebounds um, i'm not going to compare those guys as far as points and uh, assists and rebounds because they're just very different players but um keegan murray at 12 points and 41 percent like shooting wise uh they're almost identical as rookies and like whether he he's able to develop into that type of player or not i have no idea um but i will tell you that you know first of all clay was a good defender coming in to the into the pros. Be, he became a great defender. For, he became elite. Yeah, but his elite defending was about like a three year window. I mean, it was yeah. a really it was a really small window. Um, and I think the one good thing that the Kings have been able to do here is they're going to have a whole lot of tape on Keegan and show him how like what Brennan said, all these elite players that he starts against, where he's not quick enough laterally and he needs to get better laterally and they'll work on that all season, all off season long because the tape on him is pretty simple. If you can get just around the corner on him, you got him beat to the rim and he, he fouls too much on the way to the rim. Uh, he doesn't block nearly as many shots as you would have thought that maybe he would, uh, since he did average like 1.8 a game in college. Uh, but he's just not his body isn't where it will be in like one year or two years down the road and into his career and i think he has that opportunity to be really really good um and then lastly when it comes to the pick i'll keep saying this like 
I didn't mind Keegan Murray as a draft pick for the Sacramento Kings. Like I, he does fit perfectly in what they do. Uh, he was mature, all of those things. My issue wasn't even that I thought that the Kings should draft Jaden Ivey because I did not think Jaden Ivey would fit at all with the Kings. And I didn't even think that there was anyone better to bring in there. And, and you know, as far as like Matherin or Dyson Daniels or any of those guys, my point was always that you knew that Detroit wanted Ivy at number four. And they wanted Ivy really bad and they didn't want to give up something for him. You should have been able to leverage it. And that's mm-hmm. that would be my only my only gripe. Um, outside of that, like I, I wasn't disappointed in the pick. I was more disappointed in the fact that the Kings didn't add another asset at that time, especially now we see that, you know, Detroit went out and traded Sadiq Bay at the deadline. Those are things that like you could have potentially got that would have helped you along the way and actually built, helped you build out your roster a little bit quicker. Um, although it's done really well, but if you had Sadiq Bay at the beginning of the season, um, then you're not sitting here stressing out all that much about this offseason when Harrison Barnes may or may not be back. Um, you would already have somebody in place. Well, and Brendan, you shouldn't say that you were wrong yet. I mean, you might have been wrong for the season. We we talked about, look, I was I was right there with you. I thought, uh, and look, I'm not trying to say that, that anyone's right or wrong. I don't really give a shit. Like, it's, 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 it's ultimately just an opinion. So um, you look at what best player available is what we were looking at. And I think what we thought the best player available for the Kings for this season would be Keegan Murray. I think we would all be in agreement for that. We were looking beyond the season when we were talking about the draft, and I agreed with you. I I, I was a Jaden Ivey, uh, someone who had Jaden Ivey number one number one on my board in terms of available for one because I thought you know Jabari Smith I thought was best player available, but Jaden Ivey and Jabari Smith in my opinion were the only two stars before like going into the draft. Uh, that when we look back 10 years from now, we look and go, okay, I think these will be the two best players. That's not a knock on Keegan Murray at all. I feel like Keegan Murray will play a specific role. Don't know that he'll be an all-star player, and that that's fine. Like Again, when you're just looking at best players that come from a draft, when you reflect on it, um, again, no one has a crystal ball, so you don't, you, you don't have a solid answer. And I like to point out, guys are complete products of their environment. So you know, Keegan Murray coming to a team that has a playoff structure, uh, playoff aspirations, and playing as a two or three seed in the West compared to somebody like, you know, Paolo Bancaro or even, you know, Jaden Ivey playing on lesser teams where they're just really trying to cut their teeth in the NBA as opposed to someone with Keegan who has a little bit more, you know, a little more experience from a collegiate standpoint. And you already know what he can do very, very well. Uh, and can he just build upon it? And, and finally, I just say, you know, for me, you talked about the lateral crisp, uh, quickness. That's number one on my list. But my only real criticism of Keegan, and this isn't even really a criticism at all, because I like the player he is. Uh, I think for him to take that next step is, and this is what I was alluding to a little while ago, was can he get that dog in him? Can he be a alpha on a team? Can he have kind of that meanness to him? Play with a rugged, play with some chip on his shoulder, play with physicality, because in a rookie season, and this isn't a knock on him because most rookies come in and they're not built the way a LeBron James was when he came into the league. So he was able to withstand a lot of physicality. Um, he wouldn't wilt when he's bumped and and uh, some of the things that you'll see from Keegan on a night in night out basis. But Keegan is built pretty solidly. He has a great foundation. He can build upon that. And that's what I think gives so many people a lot of um, encouragement about what the future can hold from Keegan once he starts to even develop his body again at the NBA level because he's already a sturdy individual who can take contact 
but he might wilt away from it at this point in his rookie season next year. See how that develops, how that goes forward, and see if he kind of becomes that dog, so to speak. Yeah, I think he's so respectful of the people around him that he doesn't want to step out of turn. And that's what, even yeah. when I see him pass to Sabonis, a lot of times that's what I'm seeing. Like, look, dude, you're being too respectful. But the fact that he's taking 10 threes a game shows me that he he gets it, that the Kings are a better team when he shoots that they're a better team when he's letting it go and, and playing to his strengths. And, like, I'm encouraged by him. And I'll tell you, like, I, conversations I have, like, again, the Kings, someone within the walls of the Kings told me that they wouldn't trade Keegan. They wouldn't even consider trading Keegan for Laurie Markkinen because they, they believe he'll be a much better player. And that's pretty high praise because Markkinen is having a great season and would really, really fit. But they also feel like he will fit and he will be excellent and uh and that there's so much more potential to where he can be as a player. And, like, I'm, I, you have to look at him and go, okay, like, that, that's possible. Like, I'm not going to say it's impossible. You look at his rookie season, it's been really good. Um, it hasn't been just over the moon incredible, but he hasn't been asked to be incredible because the Kings already have two all-stars and then veterans that always get their shots and all that stuff. And so it, it's tough for him to have that kind of impact um, just because it, the opportunity isn't going to always be there for him. Um, let's get to uh, the hamstring issue with Fox. What do you guys, are you concerned at all? No. Are you? No. Like, uh, did that, that entire scene like kind of confuse you? Because it, In it didn't way? look like, just seeing... well, he never pulled up lame. He never grabbed right. at the hamstring. He never limped. He, nothing and then all of a sudden the medical staff came over and like ushered him back to the back and then he didn't come back and then mike brown said that he wanted to come back in the game but um but the they decided against it uh, for precautionary reasons did that it, but it didn't like the kings are four and four now on the season without fox uh which is a testament to you know the team play and you know surviving when you have a star down but um yeah I, i'm not super concerned i i just thought it was a strange situation I would assume that like maybe he made a slight comment about his hamstring or maybe they slightly noticed him moving a certain type of way. Um, I, I thought that he had some pretty athletic plays like right before that. It was not long after the Chris Paul flop that he kind of tried to show off. And then he had this reverse layup when he drove baseline that I thought was pretty athletic as well. Um, I, I think that it's smart to be precautionary if it's anything that you worry could become re-injured or anything like that. I, I believe that the right hamstring is what kept him out a few games earlier this year. No. Uh, no, yeah. he had, I'm pretty sure uh, he had pretty foot sure. Issues? That, I think you're right. Okay. He had foot. I can check on that in a second, but I, I'll okay. say this, like without having a moment to speak with Fox about it yet, um, you know, just the, the intel that you get about, you know, hey, Monty McNair was trying to hold, you know, said that he was holding, they were holding him back and Mike having to, you know, kind of convince him not to play tonight um, on that second night of the back to back last night. Um, you know, they're, they're fine. Like the, the Kings have built enough room to be cautious. Uh, and let's face it, the way, I mean, if I'm Mike Brown and I'm looking at the way they closed out the game against Phoenix, absolutely. You can hold, you can reward that, reward those guys who, who closed out well, had a brilliant second half. Um, you know, Davion Mitchell, who played so well in that game, 
reward them, you know, and you got, and then what, what happens the next night against a Utah team where you all have a, you know, a, a moment to pay them back for the loss that you had earlier in this week where you obviously didn't look like yourselves. You had a bunch of tired legs on that team coming back off a trip. And uh, that was the second night of a back-to-back as well, or was it the first night of a back-to-back? Uh, because Boston was the next night. And, um, yeah, man, like the, I think you get a chance to kind of rewrite some history in, in that in that game against oh, on Saturday. And, you know, without Fox, you go out there and you handle business. I mean, Walker, Walker Kessler was sure a, was sure a man. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Kings struggled against length, but they made adjustments. And, and it's, it's always fun to see if it, it, like how they make adjustments to length. Is it on the offensive end or the defensive end? And clearly there was some defense that, that popped up in that game. But I think a lot of it happens on the offensive end where they just go on this run uh, and they can just find a, a spark and it really kind of, you know, propels them the rest of the way. Yeah. All right. So if, if you guys are uh, following us here on YouTube uh, and you don't mind, give us a thumbs up. If you're not a subscriber here on the YouTube channel, uh, that would be cool as well. Um, also, jump on board with the King's Beat. Go to thekingsbeat.com and become a premium subscriber so you get things to access to things like the happy hour which we had this last week with sam amick which sam like like i didn't expect him to pull out that piece of paper that he pulled out that was pretty wild um that that was pretty crazy are we leaving uh, at that or i think we're gonna leave it at that. <laughs> yeah can we talk about things like that uh, i don't know no, man. Uh, probably not probably not let's leave that one out of the discussion but uh it was like, an amazing need... moment though it was, wasn't it? It was like, holy cow, he has something. Uh, he has that with him. Uh, yeah, you need to become a premium subscriber to the Kings Beat so you get to come <laughs> to the happy hours. Um, anyway, uh, let's get. We're, we'll ask. Uh, I mean, we'll answer a couple of questions. So if you have any questions to throw at us, go ahead and hit us with them right now. Uh, but first, we're going to get to the business of basketball. Um, yes. Eight games. Eight games left. Uh, the Kings it, it, again. In order to reach the playoffs all they need is one more win or a loss by minnesota um and that doesn't matter if it's today or tomorrow or or like next week sometime uh they're they're gonna be in without any question uh they probably are gonna be the three seed or better uh the chance of teams like phoenix or uh especially after they beat phoenix or the clippers who you know basically trolled by seven games in the loss column with eight games left in the season and the kings have the tiebreaker uh, like those teams are going to have a difficult time catching them. Um, and I, I want to know, what do you guys think? Uh, if they go five and three, they get to 50 wins. Um, should they be concerned at all with any of that uh, or with letting off the gas or any of that stuff? Or um, or should they like be conservative here in the final eight games? Get your Once you're in, once you got your, your playoff spot, sort of locked in should you let off the gas a little bit as far as who you're playing and how many minutes they're playing and all that stuff i would be finding some rest for demona sabonis first and foremost uh fox sure uh i think that's might might have been what we had uh just just last night and just kind of cleaning things up yeah the the hamstring injury on the sixth earlier this mo- this month was uh was a hamstring injury right hamstring soreness so yeah. um but yeah i mean look you're you're talking about you don't want to what do they say don't f with a winning streak you know you're you're winning um you kind of keep things going uh business is normal i think you find ways to 
maybe minimize some minutes for some guys. That that could be one way. You don't need guys playing uh, over maybe 30 minutes a game if, if things are already in hand. But you don't want to upset the apple cart. You want to keep the ball moving. You want to uh, just stay steady, you know, the, the, the rest of the way, in my opinion. I don't think that, like, the number 50 should matter. As much as the number 50 is a mark of a great team, I think that you only that you rest guys if you are locked into your spot. But as of right now, they're a game and a half behind Memphis. And I think two is a very big difference than three when it comes to a second round matchup. You very much would prefer to have home court advantage if Sacramento were to get there and and that were to be the matchup. So I think that's where that's the only thing that I'm sort of eyeing at this point. Like 50 would be great. I think that going five and three in these final eight is actually pretty reasonable with the schedule that they have, like two games against Portland, San Antonio, New Orleans, Dallas. I think that that's reasonable. But again, not chasing it. If anything, I think that chasing the two seed makes sense if you still think it's reasonable. But also more important than anything is that you go into the postseason healthy. So if you feel like there's some guys that need to take a day to get certain things straight in preparation for that. I think that's first and foremost. Yeah, I'm with you on all that. Um, the two seed thing is interesting because, I mean, I think that there's potential for like a team or two to be down at seven that you might not want to face face more than there might be a team at six. So like, I think the Kings can be strategic a little bit here and, you know, go for wins early on, especially when you're looking at Minnesota, which could be the clincher if, if it's not today. Um, but then the next three games are like extremely winnable games. Uh, the two Portland games and, and San Antonio game, that puts you at 49. And I think that you don't want to lose four straight to end the season. So you can at least try to win one of those games and go for it. Uh, but I also would like caution the Kings that like a second round matchup you might want to sit there and fight for a second round matchup where you get home court advantage. But another way you get home court advantage in the second round is if somehow the Grizzlies face a team, say like the Los Angeles Lakers who get healthy at the right time and beat them. And then if somehow you make it out of the first round, you would have second, you would have home court advantage in the second round because the Lakers would be below you. Um, so those are other ways that you could do it. So if I'm the Kings, I, getting Domas down to, you know, 25, 30 minutes a game for the final eight games would kind of be high on my list of things to do. Like don't have these guys carry so much weight, uh, down the stretch. There's no reason for them to, you know, make sure that you get Rashawn Holmes on the court a little bit and maybe Alex Lynn on the court a little bit, just in case you need them in some weird playoff situation down the road, like get, get some players, some rhythm that haven't been able to get there and haven't been able to you know, find who they are and all that stuff within your system. Maybe get uh, Kessler Edwards some more playing time, especially alongside of uh, Keegan Murray, and see how that looks uh, for potential playoff times. I think it'll be a good time for Mike to tinker, but I think they can coast and still get 50 wins uh, just because of the way that they've handled their business over the last couple. Um, okay, do you guys have any questions? Um, yeah, how about this one? Is he the only one? He's probably are, not. Are you the only for, one? For the for the audio uh, side. Audio listener, yeah. <laughs> question is, am I the only one who believes the Kings can beat anyone on any given night and not scared of who they match up against? Hmm. I don't think he's the only one. He might I be the only say, one among us. 
Well, I think they can beat anyone. I also think they could lose to, lose to anyone. anyone. And I know that's just a very basic answer, but I, it's just the nature of how good their offense is and how horrible their defense is. They're 28th in defense post-All-Star break. Two teams worse are Indiana and Houston. And the Oops. two better teams are Portland and Atlanta. Like They are dog shit on defense. To be to be honest, wow. these last two first half down over there, sir. The children, the these last two, <laughs> the Wilcox children. <laughs> the, these last two first halves have been horrible, horrible on defense. They gave up forty-two points in the paint to Phoenix in the first half, so you're on pace to give up eighty-four. They gave up thirty-eight points to the Utah Jazz in the first half, who didn't have Laurie Markkinen, Colin Sexton, Rudy Gay, and Jordan Clarkson. They're on pace to get 76 points in the paint. Like those are atrocious defensive halves. So also, I still have a lot of concerns there. Also, Brendan, look at that game last night. Look at the way it finished. And it's funny because I was giving the team credit for the way they closed. And I I do think that there are moments that you qualify, but there was a span of about three minutes where they're just trading buckets down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And Kelly Olenek was feasting. Uh, they were hitting some threes. They get some pretty calls some calls that go favorable towards utah and it stayed like a two possession game when it probably shouldn't have and and again credit to the kings i mean to be able to close it out but it's not like they're doing it with the 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 prettiest of basketball i mean they're just this is a team that can just has a a, an all-time high when it comes to scoring and a lot of teams can't really especially the way they play as a as a as a unit on their teams with a more commitment to defense with a more slow it down type of pace um they they don't play that way i think there's teams that are that don't play that way that are might be better suited to play that way they just don't and the kings are doing it and credit to them because it it's gotten them where they are here in the regular season but how does it look in a playoff series and i'm telling you i've had people on there say you know they don't want their identity to be that. It, that's what it is. And they're fully ready to go even faster in a playoff series because of the fact that um, that's where their bread is buttered. So who, who who's the who's the X factor in a playoff series? And I think I like every time we do this this podcast for the past couple of weeks and leading up to the end of the season here, I just I love looking at the standings so much because they keep changing. I mean, everything in the West is so cluttered up. And I know we were having a conversation among some media members uh, last night about you know what a kings and and warriors playoff series could look like i don't think that's the first round matchup i think this is going to get shaken up again and i think it could be even possibly phoenix that drops down into that sixth seed so um if the kings remain at three uh, you're looking at phoenix la golden state you still have some separation a little bit of separation it's basically a game and a half two games here with you know between seven eight um and even potentially nine so there's there's a lot that can change, but you know the Kings and Warriors have never met up. I think that's a team still that if I'm a Kings fan, maybe you want to see, but I, I probably wouldn't because of the playoff experience, because of some of the star power over there. And again, I don't think this is being talked about enough. I know the Warriors aren't great on the road, but Golden One Center is not really a road game. <laughs> and I, I would expect a lot of Warrior fans in the building. And I think that would really be disappointing uh, especially for a, for game one of a home of, of a first round series that's in Golden One Center, and there be a lot of opposition in the building, and that also has a po- possibility of happening if the you know the Lakers jump up there too. So um, I, I I'm almost hoping that it's a Clippers Phoenix Suns, you know maybe a, a T Wolves, even though I, that team kind of scares me from a King standpoint because of length. 
you know, however it looks like, um, again, doesn't matter. They're in the playoffs. It'll be great. Uh, but when you start forecasting who you want to play, there's a lot of teams below you who are looking at you and licking their chops. Yeah. Um, couple of things. Uh, someone asked, does getting the, uh, the Pacific division mean anything? Um, oh, here we oh, go. Talked about that. Uh, yeah. Outside of bragging rights. Um, and actually in this particular season, it means one other thing. It means that you have guaranteed a home court advantage spot in the playoffs uh, because the three teams behind you are all in your division. And so it just means that you held on and like you're going to guarantee a home court advantage, at least in the first round. Um, so, but outside of that, it doesn't typically mean anything else. Someone else said uh, it's the same person and I don't know how to pronounce that name, um, but uh, start with Sean. Um, what <laughs> over over who? No, no. I I think it. I, I I highlight that for a different reason. Um, man, did you Chimezi Metu have another like two games where he he may have stepped in it with Mike Brown? Because it sure did feel like it last night, and maybe the night before where he just like he has these moments where he kind of forgets to stay like in the box that they want him in and uh, did you guys see what i saw last night in both games yeah last night specifically uh yes definitely both but last night he paid he played two minutes and 30 seconds in that first quarter put up a crazy three that bricked very hard i will almost broke the backboard that was it was pretty tough um and then yeah, he gave up two yeah. offensive rebounds to the opposition in again two and a half minutes and yep. at the end of the first quarter he and Davion both kind of got talked to because Davion had a not great shot at the end of that first as well it looked like in his mind he was kind of going for a two for one but Mike didn't seem to approve of that decision that wasn't the prettiest ending to that shot either and both of those guys kind of got talked to and then Shemezi Metu never came back in the game and they went to Rashawn Holmes who after his stint didn't come back in the game and eventually settled on Trey Lyles. And what do you know? I guess that was kind of the way to go, I guess. I mean, it's only a few minutes really that you're trying to sneak by when Domas isn't in the game, but specifically yesterday, which Messi Matu to play two thirty-six in the first quarter and then not see the floor again, definitely stood out. Um, I'm going to ask, ask this one. Is it unreasonable to expect harder to be a 17, 18 point per game uh, player next season? No. No, Brennan? not in the, not the not with the way they score. I think everyone. Mm. I think Brendan and I will also average seventeen to eighteen points per game on the Sacramento Kings <laughs> next season. We're going for one sixty a game. Um, yeah, uh, Brendan, what are your thoughts? So, uh, I don't know. He could flirt with seventeen, but where's he at I right now? Bet on. He's 15, at fifteen point four. That would be a bit of a jump, but I I, I do think yeah I do think he can. I mean, I thought the beginning of the season he would be right around that mark. So, um, yeah, I we'll think find out. I'll tell you how I will determine that. Who plays small forward for this team next year? If Harrison Barnes is back, I think the points per game will be similar with most of the players outside of Keegan, who I think will take a big step and steal some points from other people. Um, if Harrison Barnes isn't back and you go with like a defensive-minded guy that's not going to score a bunch of points, then I think Kevin can get there with a pretty simple. Post-All-Star break, 14 games, 17 points. 
but 52% from the field, 46% from three. He's killing Not it. exactly sustainable, but he is Not exactly. <laughs> Not exactly a huge sample size either. But <laughs> yeah. Sustainable yeah, for the first 20 it. and the and the last 20, but not the 20 in the, the not the 40 in the middle. That... James was our were our uh, biggest Kevin Herter fans in the world, uh, dressed up in their in their red velvets and headbands. Were they were they seated in the building last night? I didn't see them, but I only uh, I looked rather late. I I, I tried to I remember to look, look over there. Yeah, I need to meet those people. Um, JV asks how how did teams in the '80s score 125 points per game? First of all, it was only the Denver Nuggets, and and they did that by literally not playing any defense. It was just back and forth, huh. and yeah. Uh, yeah, sounds familiar. Huh. Hmm. Um, yeah, but Is there I don't any reason think... he picked James to ask about the eighties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. There you go. Oh, sick <laughs> burn. Just wondering. Sick burn. He didn't ask me. He didn't ask you because you weren't born in the eighties. <laughs> um, I did. I, I mean, I remember those teams. Alex English. Uh, you know, what's the little dude? Fat uh, Lever. Michael, Michael Adams. Fat Lever. Like Kiki Vanderway, all, all they did was run and and like throw up crazy stuff. Um, let's see. I, I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna do it for uh, for questions. Um, his his we, real name Brennan, was Fat. Oh yeah, I tried to Lafayette. look it up. That's not Lafayette. Lafayette. But he goes, Lafayette. Okay, he goes by okay. Fat. All right. He and he also did some stuff with the Kings back in the little like within the decade. He was on the broadcast crew for a little while and. Had then a he was the front office he director was player personnel for like five four or five years yeah he's a good One of the dude nicest people you'll meet man yeah we used to chat while we were making coffee in in pregame and postgame like all we did was drink coffee and he and i were always at the coffee uh maker at the same time i've changed now i drink his tea um okay <laughs> i am an iced tea guy all the time Don't yeah cold I drink, iced tea and yeah. that no and i drink all the hot tea and i only use honey yeah. So, um, okay. Do we uh, do we have any final thoughts? I do. How about okay. this? I don't. Did oh. I? Maybe I mentioned this already. I don't remember getting to be older. I can't remember what I say. Uh, <laughs> so I, I I I put a video out. It was actually James's video. He was didn't want to tweet it. We've talked about the little girl Kinsley, seven years old, who sung the national anthem outstanding some people dragged her for it but she had all the confidence malik monk thought she had more confidence and swag than, than he did yeah that's the word i was looking for sorry um uh, yes. yeah just incredible if anyone had seen it. it you can do a deep dive if you haven't seen it on the twitter timeline you'll find it she's also you could find her on youtube she's done some stuff at gonzaga uh she sung the national anthem before she went that was the first time she went viral i say this because when the ncaa tournament was in town i met her father <laughs> who came up and introduced himself and uh, thanked me for it. They live in Eastern Washington and he, I forget what he works. He covers some basketball up there. Nice enough guy. And uh, thanked me for, for giving her, her daughter attention. And and he, he wants to see, he'd love to have, there's a big Kings fans. They want to see her come back and, and do the Anthem as I do as well. So shout out Kinsley and her father and just small world man running into him at the ncaa tournament was here in sack and if i said that already on this podcast and shared that story already i apologize <laughs> you may have i'm not sure though i, I remember Can't this remember. story um yeah. so if anyone has watched uh netflix a series of unfortunate events um she reminded me a lot of carmelita like so mm. so people who out there uh there's a little girl who's uh who's like up against the uh the poor Baudelaire children, and uh, she reminds me of her. Uh, Brennan, do you have any final thoughts? 
I don't, and I'm not going to force any today either. I don't have any final thoughts. There it is. Hold on. Uh, are you going to you going to hang that Jemias Ramsey thing behind whatever no, picture no. that's on the ground? Eventually, you put those I'll, on the actually, wall. Man. I know it's been a little while, huh? I was thinking about nobody that the other puts Jemias in the corner. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, okay, final thoughts for me. Um, I won't go dark and gloomy. Uh, I'll avoid Thank that you. one. Uh, although I like it's a dark. Oh, you and could. Gloomy. It's a dark and gloomy day for James. Um, but uh, the the cool thing that happened this week, um, Ricardo uh, Brito Reyes came out from Portugal and hung out with us. Oh. Um, and uh, I had a really good time. He uh, he had gone to practice at the old practice facility. Uh, for the uh, to go get a, a long interview with Namias Keda, and um, his Ubers kept canceling on him. So I drove over and picked him up, and we went and got lunch, and uh, ended up getting drinks after the game. But what a nice dude! And like uh, crazy, you meet these people in our industry that do things that just make you like, like I had no idea there was someone out there that did what like some of the things that they do. And so Ricardo stays up all night long. And he has a live stream to every NBA game, and he calls uh, two to three games a night in Portuguese, uh, like five or six nights a week. Um, he's called over 1,100 games in the last 10 years. Um, and and again, the games are in the middle of the night in, in Portugal. And so he's up all night long. Uh, he's just a really, really interesting dude um, and, and just a really cool character. So... Shout out to our guy uh, Ricardo. He was he was fun to have here in Sacramento, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to Portugal. I'm going to go hang out with him in Lisbon. Wow! Um, like I, I did, you know, I hung out with uh, Ricardo Pertizzi, the uh, Italian writer. Yeah, I went to his, Italy. His book and hung is out right on him. your shelf, right there. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, the thirty uh, thirty. Um, yeah. I, I liked asking Ricardo. I said, "Can you tell James Ham he's not big in Portugal?" And he's like, "No, he is big in Port Portugal." <laughs> 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 Suck it, Sean. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, look, uh, everybody uh, tune in to the King, I mean, the Warriors Timberwolves game tonight. If the Timberwolves lose, the Sacramento Kings are officially in the playoffs. If they do not, tomorrow night is going to be uh, one of the most entertaining evenings at Golden One Center ever. If you don't have a ticket, uh, go get one. Um, and then, heaven forbid, the Kings have to actually win the game in order, you know, to make the playoffs. But uh, I definitely think that it's, it's going to be a, uh, a fun night at, at Golden One Center, win or lose. Uh, you hope they win, but you also hope that they've already, uh, that, that they clinch. Like, however it happens, they need to clinch so we can kind of put that aside. So uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. Uh, make sure to give us a thumbs up if you're still watching. Uh, wherever you're listening, give us a rating and review. Uh, big thanks to Prize Picks, which I'm having a blast with. Prize Picks, I'm really bad at it, but I'm having a blast with Prize Picks. Uh, Malik Monk absolutely killed my uh, my Prize Picks last night when he got thrown out of the game. Uh, thanks, Malik. Um, and then now uh, I know why you've been so hard on him. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's all I'm always hard on Malik. Yeah, it's all coming full circle. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. Uh, we'll be back uh, probably Tuesday. So just around the corner. Um, so for Box 40, Sean Cunningham and Brendan Nunez from the Kings Pulse Podcast, I am James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. See you this week.